Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this great day where we can remember that Jesus rose from the dead. And Lord, as we look at that now, why it had to be so and the implications of it, help us, Lord, to see the practicalities, Lord, why Jesus had to rise from the dead. And Lord, help us to think how we live in response to this great fact. We ask for your blessing and leading now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, in that passage, it said that Jesus had to rise from the dead. The disciples had to realise that it was all promised and planned. Now, have you ever been promised something, but you couldn't quite understand what was said, maybe, and weren't really sure what you were being told was going to happen? Or maybe you were promised something, but you felt it was impossible to actually come true, too hard to ever come true. And then maybe when it did come true, when that day arrived and you were going out for that trip, that exciting trip, or you had that present you thought you could never have, or that event that uh, you thought was just too difficult to arrange, you're kind of shocked. And it takes a while to actually accept it, to really believe it. Is this really true? Is this really mine? Is this really for me? Well, it might be like that for us as we think about if if lockdown will ever end, <laughs> the promises that we, we seem to be getting and it seems to be uh, coming, but will it ever happen? Will we actually believe it when it happens one day when we're allowed to, to meet? Will, will it be a shock to us? Will we think, wow, can this really be true? We've been waiting so long for it. Well, it was a bit like that for the disciples on that first resurrection Sunday. In our passage in John 20, verse 8 and 9, it says, finally, the other disciple, John, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. And verse 9 says, they still did not understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. They still did not understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Now, why did Jesus have to rise from the dead? Well, we're going to look at uh, several things. Why? And the first reason is because it was God's promised plan. It was God's promised plan. That's the first reason why Jesus had to rise from the dead. Now, if we go back about 1000 BC, 1000 years before Christ, and there's a psalm, there's a song, Psalm 16. And this psalm is later on quoted by the Apostle Peter on the day of Pentecost, and it was quoted about Jesus. So this psalm is ultimately about Jesus. And this is what it says. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices, my body also will rest secure, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You, you will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. And that passage was quoted by the Apostle Peter about Jesus. You will not let your faithful one see decay. Jesus will not decay in the grave. So that's the 1000 BC. Now let's go back 700 years before Christ. And we find a promise there in Isaiah 53, a promise and a plan for the Messiah. That's another name for Christ or Jesus who came to save us. There was a plan for the Messiah to suffer, but then for the Messiah to live again. And this 700 years before Jesus was born, Isaiah 53 verse 10. It says, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days 
and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, notice, after he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. So not only is the death and the resurrection of Jesus planned and promised, but we see there's going to be a specific result from it. This death and this resurrection is going to justify many people before God, bearing away their sins. Now, one of the things is really interesting, because in a couple of the songs that we've sung already, it talks about Satan. It talks about evil having its day when Jesus was killed on the cross. And those things are true because from the devil's perspective, from Satan's perspective, he thought he was winning a victory over Jesus. But of course, God's plan and purpose was for this to happen. God purposed that his son would die and it was in God's plan. And although evil didn't see it, although the devil couldn't grasp it, this was God's plan. And Jesus won a victory over evil, over the devil, over sin, over death. And it was all part of God's promised plan. And the specific result is that we can be justified before God when we believe in Jesus. He bears away our sins. And this was the, the great thing that Jesus did in, de in defeating sin and the, the devil who thought he was winning. And we also see that Jesus clearly promised it as well. Jesus himself promised that he was going to die and rise again. So when Jesus was on the earth, it was the plan that he believed he was fulfilling. And he knew it was going to happen. Right in the beginning of John's Gospel, chapter 2 and verse 19, Jesus is speaking to some of the national leaders there in Israel. And he says, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. And they thought he was talking about the physical temple, but Jesus was referring metaphorically to his body, about his death and his resurrection. Destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. But the people, even the disciples, didn't really get it to start with. Verse 20, they replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days. But the verse 21 gives the explanation. But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. So Jesus promised it. It was in the plan. And Jesus also said things very plainly and unmistakably many times. In Matthew chapter 16, Matthew's gospel, chapter 16, Jesus talking to, about it, to his disciples about his death. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. So it might be surprising to us that the disciples didn't really seem to get it, even though Jesus had told them many times but I think really they didn't want to believe it and they, they didn't want to believe that Jesus was going to die. They didn't want to face that uh, horror, horror, horrible thing. But uh, when they saw the empty tomb and later on saw him, they, they realised, they put it all together, that this was part of the promised plan. Now, the truthfulness, the reliability, in fact, the believability of Jesus is, a, a, a key, is the key thing here, isn't it? Jesus has made some very big promises about his death and about his resurrection three days later. It's in the plan of the Bible, right? 1000 BC, 700 BC, lots of other promises about Jesus who would die and come to life again. So whether Jesus is a liar, whether Jesus is a madman, 
just saying deluded things, or whether he truly is the Son of God, can be easily proven, can't it? Easily proven. Because we know he was killed, a spear was put into his side, and the blood and water flowed out, which is a proof of death. What happened next? That would prove, wouldn't it, whether he really was who he claimed to be, that all these promises were, were true. Well, we see that the lady disciples went to the tomb first. We had that in our story earlier on, didn't we, that Cheryl read out to us. Those lady disciples were the bravest ones who went to the tomb first to finish the embalming process that they'd begun on that Friday night. But they found that tomb empty and instead two angelic beings were there and they said to them, he is not here in Luke 24 verse 6. He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The son of man must suffer, must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. They remembered the promises. They remembered the plan. And so we see that Jesus had to rise from the dead because it was planned and promised. And if Jesus hadn't had risen from the dead, then there's no believable Jesus to take seriously. But of course he did. And that means we do need to take him seriously. Now, the second reason why Jesus had to raise from the dead is because it was impossible for him to stay dead. It was not possible for him to stay dead. It was not possible. Now, Jesus was physically killed. There were eyewitnesses to his death. The Roman governor checked to make sure he really was dead. But he was the God man. He was the God man. God's son had come from heaven at that first Christmas time and had become united with humanity, not just for the 33 years that he was alive on this earth, but permanently. Now the son of God has a body. He took on human nature, truly God and yet truly man in one divine person. Now, his spirit could not be killed. So therefore, it was impossible for this creator of life, because don't forget, he's God, the son. The, the author of life, it was impossible, impossible for him to have a body and for that body to stay dead and to decay. Again, Peter uh, was quoting the Old Testament in his sermon on, in Acts chapter 3. And it says this, that you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. Remember, he will not see decay. His body will not see decay. Earlier on, he quotes from Psalm 16. And we are witnesses of this, Peter says to the people who were there on that day in Acts uh, chapter three, you killed the author of life, the one who created life in the first place, but God raised him from the dead. We're witnesses of this. And Acts two and verse 24, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Now imagine a tire in a tube or a large float filled with air. And uh, if you've been in the swimming pool or in your paddling pool and you've got to this, uh, this uh, thing filled with air uh, and you try and push it under the water what happens if you let it go it jumps up doesn't it because there's air inside it and the air is lighter than the water and then you might press it down and press it down squeeze it down it can even help you to stay afloat can't it help your weight to to stay afloat but if you press it down under the water and then let it go it jumps up out of the water doesn't it because of the air inside it it rises to the surface powerfully to the surface now, the force of life in the Son of God stayed down for three days. And it was part of the plan. And he, he stayed down. That life stayed down for those three days to fulfill the prophecy, to fulfill all the promises, and to prove that, that death had truly taken place, to, to prove that sins were paid for. 
and three days was a symbol of something complete to the Jews. Something had certainly, definitely, clearly, unmistakably happened. Uh, but that life, though it was, if you like, under for three days, that power of God could not stay down. It was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And on that third morning, that third day, on that Sunday morning, he rose again from the dead. And Jesus, it was not possible for him to stay dead. And this has amazing implications for, for the Christian, for those who are believing and trusting in Jesus. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 19, Paul is praying for the church and he's asking God to help the Christians there to, to grasp incredible things that God has done and is doing for them. And also for us, if we're a Christian, including, he mentions, God's incomparably great power for us who believe. Now notice this, the power that is at work in us, he refers to it like this, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. So that means that the same resurrection power, the same power, that irrepressible power, that same power that is at work in every Christian, Jesus, and meant that Jesus could not stay dead, is at work in you. It's at work in me if we're, if we're believing in Jesus. And because of his power, his irrepressible force of life, it's working in us. That means that we have the same life force. That means we have that same irrepressible power work at work in us. And what implication does that have to us? Even if we die, we will not stay dead. We will come back to life. We will be risen from the dead to be with God forever. And that's fantastic, isn't it? The same power, the irrepressible power ca cannot be kept down. Now, in Romans chapter 6, uh, we have a, a passage there which is talking about repentance of sins. It's talking about baptism. It's talking about the symbolism of baptism. And repentance for sins is a kind of death, a death to our old life. And that's symbolised in baptism. So you go into the water, which is a picture of death, a picture of being buried, a picture of repentance, turning away from your old life. So baptism is a picture of our old sinful life washed away, the image of water, buried under the water, and then rises out of the water, symbolising forgiveness and symbolising coming alive to a new start, a new life. In Romans 6 verse 5 it says these words, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. That's the power of God at work in our lives now. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also, in a time to come, live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. And therefore, this means that if we are united with Christ by faith, his same irrepressible force of life and power is at work in us. So therefore, death will have no mastery over us because of him. And so... The man, Jesus, who died for us, who rose again from the dead, is a pattern of hope for us. A pattern of hope for us, even in the face of death. We see, even though that suffering is part of this life, as it was for Jesus, sin and sadness and death, they're not the end. Instead, we have real hope of victory over death. And not just survival, but a wonderful eternity ahead. 
And this is the great, the, the great hope of the Christian when we face suffering and even death. In 1 Thessalonians uh, in chapter 4, the, the apostle there is reminding the church that we, that Christians have a real hope even when we face the grief of losing fellow Christians. It says there, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So it was not possible for Jesus to stay dead because of his irrepressible force of life. And for us, Jesus is therefore our pattern, our roadmap out of a sin-spoiled existence. Because of that mighty resurrection, that power at work in us, it's obscured by human weakness and, and suffering as it was for Jesus. But one day, this power will erupt in resurrection to eternal life, to be forever with the Lord. That's another great consequence, in fact, that flows from the resurrection of Jesus. That's why it had to be. Jesus had to rise from the dead because of his irrepressible force of life and that has implications for us uh, for now and into the future. And then we see thirdly, Jesus had to rise from the dead for our participation, for our participation. Now in 2 Peter chapter 1, Simon Peter, who's the writer here, remember we read about him earlier on, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Saviour Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And notice verse 3 particularly. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. So remember, his divine power it's at work in us. Now, the power that raised Jesus from the dead is working in us, as we thought earlier on, and it's giving us all we need now to live a godly life. And that leads to an engagement and a participation in the nature of God, an experience of a participation in the nature of God. Verse four, of that same passage says this, through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. So let's think of that. Jesus became human, the God-man. He became the God-man in order to participate with us and to save us by giving that life in his body on the cross. His resurrection power is now at work in us to enable us not to become divine. That will never happen. We will never become God. That will never happen in any way. But it does enable us to participate in, to have communion with, to be companions with God now and into eternity. So the resurrection of Jesus was necessary. It had to be the case for our participation. He participated with us so that we can participate with him and know and be companions with God. And this is awesome. This is fantastic. We absolutely need a risen Jesus to be able to participate in the divine nature with God. God is a holy God and we're sinful. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we need forgiveness. We need justification. We need to be, we need our debt, our sinful debt to be cleared. 
and the death and the resurrection of Jesus provides us with this. In Romans chapter 4 and uh, verse 4, uh, 24 rather, it says this, For us who believe in him, who raised our Lord from the dead, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. So, in other words, the death of Jesus was essential. It provides us with the sacrifice that uh, takes the punishment for our sins in our place so that we can be forgiven. He was put to death. He was delivered over to death for our sins. He was delivered over to death for our sins. But then the resurrection is an essential component too. The death of Jesus was essential, but the resurrection of Jesus was essential as well. Because the raising of Jesus to life, as well as essential for all the other reasons that we've touched on already, it is the full and final proof that Jesus has achieved his mission, that Jesus has achieved his purpose to, to save us. Through faith in him, we're justified and the resurrection of Jesus proves that we are truly justified. If Jesus had just stayed dead, we'd have no assurance, no proof that Jesus really has cleared us of our debt, justified us so that we can be right with God. But he is alive. Now think about this. If you were to go and get your vaccine and uh, once you had it, you heard that the, the pharmaceutical company had just gone bust, that it closed down, factory shut all the workers made redundant. You'd not be very happy, would you? Because there's no accountability now, no guarantees, no reassurance. What if you needed another jab? Well, especially if there were no other vaccines available or if you found that other vaccines were not compatible with the first vaccine. So you'd be in a big mess, wouldn't you, if, if the company closed down and you weren't, wouldn't be sure whether it really could help you. But if that company still exists, and all the data is still there and all the evidence keeps coming back that the, the vaccine is good and safe and effective. You're filled with hope. You're filled with reassurance that you've got something that will help you and protect you from a dangerous virus. Now, apart from totally destroying the trustworthiness of Jesus, if he didn't rise from the dead, we would have no assurance if he didn't rise from the dead. We would have no assurance that we are justified truly before God. We'd also have no assurance that there's life after death with God in heaven. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. And this has opened up for the way for us to have full and complete participation with God, as well as the assurances that we're justified. It's opened up the way for us to have true companionship with God, to participate in the divine nature. Jesus' resurrection, Jesus going back to heaven, is there to prepare a place for us to enter into that eternal companionship. In John chapter 14 and verse 1, Jesus said to his disciples before he dies, don't let your hearts be troubled. I'm saying to you some difficult things, but don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. And of course, Jesus is the way. And of course, Jesus had to rise again from the dead for this to be possible so he could go and prepare a place for us. And this was in the plan. It is the plan. It was the plan and it is the plan for us to spend eternity with him and with Jesus, with his body and with Jesus embodied to be with someone, a person that we can see, 
person that we could even touch, the person where we can see the evidence of the, the scars in his hands and his feet, the proof that he died once for us to deal with all our sin. His death and resurrection has now prepared a place for us to be with him, to live with God forever, to participate with him. Listen to this beautiful prayer about us. If we're a Christian, about you. John 17, verse 24. Jesus is praying to the Father. Father, I want those you've given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. So Jesus is praying about his people. He's saying to the Father, I want these dear ones to be with me. I want these to be with me and to be able to see the love and the glory that we've shared for eternity. And for that to be possible, Jesus then after this prayer had to die for us to pay the punishment for our sins, so for our forgiveness. Then he had to rise again from the dead and ascend back to heaven for our justification and to go and prepare this place for us. So Jesus had to rise again. He had to rise again because it was and it is for our participation to be able to share the unity, to be able to enter into and share the love and the, this glory with God and to do so for eternity. Jesus had to rise again. So therefore, overall, the message is Jesus did have to rise from the dead for all, for all these reasons. And now there's one thing that remains. What do we do with this? How do we respond to this? What do we do in response? Do we just finish the service in a little while and go and eat our Easter eggs and carry on and go on as if nothing else has happened? How do we respond when we see the, the one that came from heaven, became human, in love for us, who died for us, who rose again, and for all the reasons we've looked at, the significance of it. How do we respond in the light of this? Well, surely we need to recognise why Jesus died for our sins and to repent. We need to respond in repentance. The reason why Jesus had to suffer such an awful death was because of our sins, because of our lies, our unkindness, our wrong thoughts, our attitudes, our stealing, our hatred, all the things that are in our hearts, our disobedience to our parents to, and to disrespect for others, all these things. Jesus had to die to save us from our sins and therefore surely when we think about that, what do we do? We must turn and start to hate things that are wrong. Turn and want to do what's right. We need to repent of our sins that caused Jesus to die. And we need, to, of course, to believe in Jesus. We've had a number of passages in the Bible which talk about Christians and this hope for Christians. And, of course, we become a Christian through repenting and belief, faith in Jesus. We need to believe in him, that he did this for us and accept his offer of forgiveness. We need to receive his rescue and his new life. And so with a repentant heart, we need to pray and put our trust in Jesus, asking him to forgive us, asking him to cleanse us from all that's wrong. And we put our faith and trust in him to follow him. So believe in him, repent and believe. And surely we need to respond in worship. We may already have repented and believed and our response surely is to is to live a life of worship to live a life of thankfulness to him who loved us 
and gave himself for us. And of course, we can look forward to eternal participation with Jesus. And we can begin to enjoy that participation with him even now. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your death for us, to save us from our sins. We thank you for your glorious resurrection from the dead. We thank you for that you, the author of life, your irrepressible power that uh, meant that you could not stay in that grave, but that your body had to uh, come back to life. And we thank you, Lord, that you are a risen living saviour who we can trust. You kept your promises. Lord, the plan and the purpose was fulfilled. You did what you said you would do. And we thank you that we can throw our trust upon you. Thank you, Lord, that we have hope now. Thank you that you are our pattern. Lord, that our, the sin-spoiled world and our, our sin-damaged bodies and the, the aging process and the frailties that we have, Lord, this is not the end. We have hope, hope of resurrection bodies, and we have hope of a new life to come. And Lord, we thank you that in your great love, you've made this way and that we can turn to you now. Help us, Father, if we're not yet a Christian, to repent of our sins and to believe in you, Lord Jesus, to receive this forgiveness, this new life, this hope that you offer to us right now. And Lord, we also pray, help us as those of us who are already Christians to be thankful this morning and always for what you've done for us. So receive our worship in song, in heart, in lives, live for you. And we give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.